Welcome to Second Chances, the Persuasion Podcast. My name is Tom. And I'm Grace. And we're going through Jane Austen's Persuasion, chapter by chapter. Mm-hmm. Today we are talking about Volume 2, Chapter 3. But Grace, first we give us a quick recap of what happened in the previous chapter. Sure. So in Chapter 2, um, Anne is with Lady Russell. Um... And then they get a visit from Charles and Mary, and they talk a little bit about this Captain Benwick, and Lady Russell wants to know a little bit more about this Captain Benwick, and Charles jokes that Captain Benwick has taken a liking to Anne, much to Mary's chagrin for some <laughs> reason. Mary claims that the that Captain Benwick is actually her friend and not Anne's friend. Um then and then Charles says that oh you know you should be on the lookout because maybe Captain Benwick will come visit Anne sometime soon and then um, sadly for some reason Captain Benwick never really shows up and that is a mark against him in Lady Russell's book. Then uh, what happens? Then some time passes. It's like almost Christmas time. Anne and Lady Russell go visit the Musgroves, Charles and Mary Musgrove, and their children. It's a very hectic scene. Um, lots of children running around. And, um, oh, and also the Harville children are there, too. Charles and Mary are doing them a solid by watching the Harville children mm-hmm. while the Harvilles are taking care of Louisa. Um, and then some time passes a little more, and then... Uh, Anne and Lady Russell take off for Lyme, and yeah. they arrive at Lyme at the house where the Elliots are staying. At Camden Place, yes. Yes, at Camden Place. Last chapter ends where Lady Russell drops Anne off right in front of Camden Place. That's right, right. Uh-huh. yep. So, <clears throat> Tom, why don't you give us the quickest summary of what happens in chapter three? So here, we're going to get to see inside of Camden Place, and uh, despite their fallen fortune... <laughs> Sir Walter and Elizabeth and Mrs. Clay, who's also there, are all very much enjoying themselves. They're having a great time in Bath. Um, And also the big news is that they have reconciled with Mr. Elliot. And guess what? All is forgiven. All the slights of the past. They've also met Mr. Elliot's friend, Colonel Wallace, and he has explained away to the Elliots, the circumstances of Mr. Elliot's marriage, and so they forgive him for that, (laughs) for egregiously marrying a rich woman of low birth. And then, who should drop by but Mr. Elliot himself, Mm. like, in the middle of the night, essentially. Yeah. And they all hang out, have a good time. Uh, This is when Mr. Elliot realizes that it was Anne who he saw in Lyme. He didn't know that. So we all remember they share that very pregnant look for a second. (laughs) Uh... And then uh, that's about it. Anne is taken by Mr. Elliot's charms and his gentlemanly manner and, uh, no, well, not quite taken, but notices them, I should say. No, she's very aware of his, uh, his, uh, let's say his, like his <clears throat> active, um, like, uh, what is he, like he's actively be playing the gentleman part. Uh-huh. He almost compares to one other person in Anne's mind. Yeah. I wonder who that could be. We'll get to that shortly. And then it's 11 o'clock, <laughs> and Mr. Elliot's like, well, I guess I should go. Yeah. <laughs> so that's about that. <laughs> okay, let's, let's go ahead and start. Okay. You want to start reading for us, Grace? Sure. Chapter 3. Sir Walter had taken a very good house in Camden Place, a lofty, dignified situation such as becomes a man of consequence. 
and both he and Elizabeth were settled there, much to their satisfaction. Mm. So they are continuing to live as blissfully as they were living in Calyanch, it appears. This paragraph almost sounds a little bit like in Sir Walter Elizabeth's POV. Just like... Mm. I don't think it is, but it's just like, and and it was great, and this house is very becoming of a man of Sir Walter's consequence, right? Mm, very much satisfied. Okay. Anne entered it with a sinking heart, anticipating an imprisonment of many months, <laughs> and anxiously saying to herself, oh, when shall I leave you again? <laughs> Who's the you? The house? Camden Place. Yeah, yeah I think so. Well, I mean, to, to, for, to an extent, you know, when shall I leave my family yeah. again? A degree of unexpected cordiality, however, in the welcome she received, did her good. Uh-huh. Her father and sister were glad to see her, for the sake of showing her the house and furniture, and met her with kindness. Her making a fourth, when they sat down to dinner, was noticed as an advantage. <laughs> so she's there, and they're excited, but it seems like it seems like they're happy to see her because she gets to they get to show off the house to someone, and now she completes a table of four. <laughs> Well, okay, so Anne is not expecting any sort of warm welcome, as is reasonable, a reasonable assumption based on the way we've seen them treat Anne in the past. Right. But look, you know, they're they're actually happy to see her, and for what reason? For to what sh- reasons, yeah. To A, to show off the house, and B, so that she is a fourth person at dinner. Mm-hmm. Remember, Mrs. Clay is with them also. Right. So, Why? Yeah, go ahead. Well, so it's just been, yeah, Sir Walter, Elizabeth, and Mrs. Clay this whole time. Why would it be an advantage to have a fourth for dinner to just have more conversation more like it's just more like you know symmetrical that, that's what i think yeah. it's, it's just purely the symmetry <laughs> right now everyone is facing someone mrs clay was very pleasant and very smiling but her courtesies <clears throat> and smiles were more a matter of course mm-hmm. Anne had always felt that she should she would pretend what was proper on her arrival but the complaisance of the others was unlooked for. So Anne was like, in her expectation, she's like, well, I know Mrs. Clay is going to be nice to me. It's all going to be, like, superficial and hollow, right? Mm-hmm. That's I think that's what it means when it's, like, a matter of course. That's yeah. just what Mrs. Clay does. Right. But, they, yeah, yeah, go ahead. Oh, yeah. and then, But she knew, like, not to expect anything from her family. And they're actually cordial. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. They were evidently in excellent spirits. And she was soon to listen to the causes. They had no inclination to listen to her. After laying out for some compliments of being deeply regretted in their old neighborhood, which Anne could not pay, they had only a few faint inquiries to make before the talk must be all their own. This after laying out for some compliments, like essentially fishing for compliments, right? Yeah. Yeah. I was like, oh, surely, like, um... Kalyanch must be missing us, right? I wonder uh, what everyone in the neighborhood is saying about us. And when Anne had nothing to say, that they were just like, all right, moving on. We only get passing mentions of the tenantry of Kalyanch, but we know that they are not fans of Sir Walter. No. Upper Cross excited no interest. Kalyanch very little. It was all bad. <laughs> well, definitely Upper Cross excited no interest. Uh, and Kalyanch, it seems like... If no one's going to talk about them at Kelly Inch, then they're not going to talk about Kelly Inch. They have moved on with their lives. It's just kind of like Kelly Inch what? <laughs> right? <laughs> Kelly Inch who? Yeah, just, you know, the most shameful part of your family that you've run into debt that you need to pay off. Oh, that old thing? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Oh, we just moved to Bath for the fun. Yeah, for that, the fun. That's almost as they're be. That's the way they're behaving. Um, 
They had the pleasure of assuring her that Bath more than answered their expectations in every respect. Their house was undoubtedly the best in Camden Place. Their drawing rooms had many decided advantages over all the others which they had seen or heard of. (laughs) And the superiority was not less in the style of the fitting up or the taste of the furniture. So, of all the drawing rooms they've seen in Bath and all the drawing rooms they've heard talk of, they know that they have the nicest, right? This heard talk of is great. It's like, surely who who else is talking about these these drawing rooms has described other drawing rooms to them i have i wouldn't i wouldn't be surprised if they're just they just made up these drawing rooms in their head and uh, are like oh ours are superior <laughs> right well who's is going to be more who's going to have more tasteful furniture right <laughs> their acquaintance was exceedingly sought after yeah i bet everybody was wanting to visit them they had drawn back from many introductions and were still perpetually having cards left by people of whom they knew nothing. Mm-hmm. Calling cards, visiting cards. Right, right. So they are just living it up. Everyone wants to know the Elliots, right? Mm-hmm. Okay, here, I'll pick up. Here were funds of enjoyment. Could Anne wonder that her father and sister were happy? She might not wonder, but she must sigh that her father should feel no degradation in his change, should see nothing to regret and the duties and dignities of the reg- resident land holder, holder should find so much to be vain of in the littleness of a town. And she must sigh and smile and wonder too, as Elizabeth threw open the folding doors and walked with exultation from one drawing room to the other, boasting of their space, at the possibility of that woman, who had been mistress of Kelly and Hall, finding extent to be proud of between two walls, perhaps thirty feet asunder. So here's Anne just being like, you know, she might not wonder, meaning what? She, um, could she wonder at how happy her father and sister were? Well, like, she's not worried that her father might not feel... Well, what, well what I don't it? think it's... Like, she's not amazed that her oh, father and sister yeah, are so yeah. happy, right? Mm-hmm. She's not going to wonder at it. She's not amazed by it. But she still is, like, she regrets the fact that her father doesn't feel any degradation in this change of scene, right? Yeah, he hasn't really been humbled in any way. Uh-huh. Um, Which you think you would be if you were forced out of your large estate to move to a smaller apartment um, because you couldn't afford to live in your large estate. And yet it seems like Sir Walter is completely ob- still living obliviously to the fact that he, this is kind of his punishment for right. for not paying his debts, is, is living in a smaller apartment. But he, no matter where he is, he seems to be like, this is the best apartment in all of Camden Place. This is the best drawing room in all of Camden Place. And yeah, like, so like Anne feels like a bit just like just a bit like dissatisfied that her dad hasn't learned anything from uh- this trial of having to let Cam- uh, Kelly and Hall. Right. He got, He went from being the resident landowner of, a, like, a, you know, a region of a county, which is, like, it's a big deal, you know, only a select number of people in England get the opportunity to have the position that Sir Walter had, right? And he lost it, all because of himself. And instead of regretting that, now he has found things to be vain about, basically by being, like, popular in this little town, right? In this little resort town. Mm-hmm. He should find so much to be vain of in the littleness of a town. And then she goes on and says she must sigh and smile and wonder too. So I guess she's a little amazed by this. 
as Elizabeth threw open the folding room doors, the folding doors, sorry, and walked with exultation from one drawing room to the other, meaning they have two drawing rooms, <laughs> and boasted of their space. This, all this from a woman who had been the mistress of Kelly Inch Hall and now finds extent to be proud of between two walls not 30 feet apart. Mm. I mean, okay, 30 feet apart does sound ginormous to us, uh, but compared to, like, a mansion, it's, it's like, it's, it's nothing. And yet Elizabeth, or Anna's watching Elizabeth, like, walk around this, like, very nice apartment, but very s- small comparatively, as if she were, like, as if she were, like, just as proud of, like, walking around this apartment as she would be being mistress of Kelly Inch. Right. The question is, is, like, do Sir Walter and Elizabeth recognize the irony at all? That they're so vain of this, of these, like, diminished circumstances that they live in? No, I don't think so. You don't think so? I guess not. No. Like, I mean, that's kind of, like, blissful ignorance in a way, yeah. right? Like, they... This move has worked out great for them. This retrenchment. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah, the irony is that they, like, this isn't, they don't own this apartment. They're renting it. Yeah, they're renting it. Uh (laughs) Yeah. Okay. (laughs) Let's move on, I guess. But this was not all which they had to make them happy. They had Mr. Elliot, too. Anne had a great deal to hear of Mr. Elliot. (laughs) He was not only pardoned, they were delighted with him. He had been in Bath about a fortnight, it says in parentheses, he had passed through Bath in November in his way to London, when the intelligence of Sir Walter's being settled there had of course reached him. Of course, that's Sir Walter's voice. (laughs) Because everyone knows when Sir Walter's anywhere. Though only, okay, so he had made his way through Bath in November on his way to London, when the intelligence of Sir Walter's being settled there had of course reached him, Though only 24 hours in the place. Though Sir Walter had only been 24 hours in the place, right? I think so, yeah. Uh, But at that point, Mr. Elliot had not been able to avail himself of this knowledge. But now, he had had now been a fortnight in Bath, and his first object on arriving had been to leave his card in Camden Place. Following up by such assiduous endeavors to meet... Assiduous. Endeavors to meet, and when they did meet, by such great openness of conduct... Such readiness to apologize to the past for the past, such solicitude to be received as a relation again, that their former good understanding was completely reestablished. So, like, very much the prodigal son returning. Uh huh. He is back, and he is on throw himself at their feet. Yeah, here he's I am. On his knees, uh-huh. he's kissing Sir Walter's feet, yeah, begging yeah. for forgiveness. Uh-huh. I want to be an acquaintance again. Look at all all the effort he's going to to like reestablish this acquaintance, right? Mm-hmm. Such readiness to apologize to the past, and such solicitude to be received as a relation again. And he has been completely forgiven. <clears throat> Gee, what a quick turnaround. Uh-huh. Not even, like, not too long ago that, that he was, you know... His name couldn't even be spoken of in the household, and now he is—he is, he is uh, the number one guy. He's the yeah, number one exactly. guy. He is the number one attraction of Bath, pretty yeah. much. Yes. And then, yeah. Well, we'll see how we got okay. how we got there. All right. So it goes on to say they had no—they had not a fault to find in Mister Elliot. He had explained away all the appearance of neglect on his own side. That's a great <laughs> phrase, appearance. There was no actual neglect. It was just the appearance of neglect, right? This is textbook um, 
honestly, this is a textbook. Uh, what's the word? Um, gas. No, oh, gaslighting. gaslighting. Well, it was just I, the appearance of neglect. That those are Mr. Elliot's words, probably. Oh, that yeah. now Sir Walter and Elizabeth are like oh totally a- parroting. Uh huh. He had explained away all the appearance of neglect on his own side. It had originated in misapprehension entirely. Hey, it was all misunderstanding. Uh, he had never had an idea of throwing himself off. He had feared that he was thrown off, but knew not why, and delicacy had kept him silent. So what is this saying? What is Mr. Elliot's explanation for, like, neglecting the family? Well, he's saying, like, I didn't leave you. I didn't choose to leave you. Uh I thought you guys threw me away. I thought you cast me out. And for the sake of delicacy, I never asked why. I wasn't shunning you. I thought I was being shunned, although I didn't know why. And my just my de- sense of delicacy prevented me from ever asking why, right? Yeah. Well, not even just his de- sense of delicacy, but just the delicate... It's it just, like, the societal norms would have prevented him from, like, inquiring. Because this is, like... <clears throat> you know, this would have been, like, a, a touchy subject. So, uh. for, for, for him, for a gentleman, of course, he would do the delicate thing of not asking why he was shunned from his family. <laughs> we'll talk more about this. But yeah, like that explanation also kind of like talks up his own gentlemanliness, right? His own manners. Yeah. Okay. Upon the hint of having spoken disrespectfully or carelessly of the family and the family honors, Mr. Elliot was quite indignant. I? Yeah. <laughs> Me? Right. <laughs> he, who had ever boasted of being an Elliot and whose feelings, as to connection, were only too strict to suit the unfutile tone of the present day. Those are his words. <laughs> uh, like how me, I would like speak lowly of the family, I who ever boasted of being an Elliot. I and, who had only know. ever boasted of being an Elliot. I who, whose own uh, feelings about connection, about uh-huh. my family are, you know, too strict to suit the unfutile tone of modern day. And just connection in general. My, me, who's so fastidious about, like, family connections and, like, honoring bloodlines, yeah. right? And then, like, like, I am more so, more strict about this than anyone else in this terrible, unfutile day that we live in, right? Right. Well, he's definitely speaking to Sir Walter's own, like, sense of, like, you know, uh, pride and connection mm. and family. So he's saying, like, you and I, Sir, Wal- Sir Walter, are the same, you know? You and I both know the importance of family connections. Mm-hmm. And it is, you know, it's just something that these unfeudal present-day normies uh-huh. would never understand. This word unfeudal, I mean, like Sir Walter is sincerely using it. But like Austin, that's tongue-in-cheek for Austin, even at this time, to be like, <laughs> uh, we want to go back to a day where feudalism was still the reigning power. Right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Which I'm sure Sir Walter does. He's like, blast these, you know, these peasants who have risen up. Right. <laughs> okay. <laughs> His feelings were only too strict to suit the unfutile tone of the present day. Mr. Elliot was astonished indeed. Astonished by the, the accusations, right? But his character and general conduct must refute it. He could refer Sir Walter refer Sir Walter to all who knew him, and certainly the pains he had been taking on this, the first opportunity of reconciliation, to be restored to the footing of a relation in air presumptive, was a strong proof of his opinions on the subject. 
So, Here's yeah, a yeah. list of all my friends. You can call them up one by one, and they'll all tell you that I'm a great guy. <laughs> <laughs> Basically. That's what Mr. Elliot said. And then I think this is like Sir Walter's, like, um, you know, his addition, which is like, just look at how hard he's been trying to establish this connection. It must be a misunderstanding, yeah. right? Well, here, here's the, you know, here's the, here's the important part is to be restored to the footing of a relation and heir presumptive. Mm-hmm. Let's not forget who Mr. Elliot is and what he is in line to inherit. Well, Anna's going to bring this up in this chapter, but it's just like, Mr. Elliot is going to inherit Kelly Inch, no matter what, whether Sir Walter likes him or not. Mm. But uh, in Sir Walter's brain, I don't know. I think in Sir Walter's brain that there's there's still like a reason for Mr. Elliot to want this approval, right? Well, because it's Sir Walter. Yeah, Who wouldn't exactly. want Sir Walter's uh, right, right. Elliot's approval? Air presumptive. He's not... Yeah, okay, whatever, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, heir presumptive, like, he's not going to become king. You know? Right. <laughs> he's going he's gonna to become the uh, the owner of this bankrupt estate. Yeah. <laughs> okay, do you want to you wanna continue? Sure. The circumstances of, Sir, of Mr. Elliot's marriage were too... F- or two, sorry, let me start over. The circumstances of Mr. Elliot's marriage, too, were found to admit of much extenuation. Mm. So what's, yeah, so like, well, how do you explain that? Yeah. This was an article not to be entered on by himself. By Mr. Elliot himself. He's not, he wasn't going to bring up his marriage, right? But a very intimate friend of his, a Colonel Wallace, a highly respectable man, perfectly the gentleman, and here in parentheses, and not an ill-looking gentleman, Sir Walter added, who was living in very good style in Marlborough buildings and had, at his own particular request, been admitted to their acquaintance through Mr. Elliot, had mentioned one or two things relative to the marriage, which made a material difference in the discredit of mm. it. So one of Mr. Elliot's friends, of course, is going to explain away the reason that he married yeah. this, like, woman of no status, basically. She had right. money, but no rank, right? Yeah, and this uh, Colonel Wallace, A, highly respectable, B, perfectly the gentleman, mm-hmm. but C, most importantly yeah, of all, yeah. not an ill-looking man. And therefore can be trusted. Uh, <laughs> Sir Walter places so much stock in physical appearances. Yeah. And like how well dressed you are, how handsome you are, right? Yes. Even things you can't control, as we'll see later. <laughs> like that that makes a material difference with Sir Walter. So he knows he can trust this Colonel Wallace because of how good looking he is. <laughs> and it's also it's you know, the Elliot Sir Walter Elizabeth can't hear themselves, but it's gotta be, it's a little, like, suspicious, like, oh my, you know, Mr. Elliot didn't bring it up, but his friend did, you know, and he's gonna explain it all away. Yeah, this is great, this is, like, a great guidebook on, like, how to know when you're being played, essentially, uh-huh. like, if they show up out of the blue begging to be back in your good graces, and if they have, like, a list of friends who will, like, explain away all of your, uh, all of this person's like past grievances with no like no real reason to trust them like Uh, this colonel wallace fella i doubt that sir walter or elizabeth asked colonel wallace about this marriage i feel like he probably just brought it up of his own volition Mm -hmm. we don't know that that's me speculating okay so let's go back let's go into this colonel wallace had known mr elliot long had been well acquainted also with his wife had perfectly understood the whole story. So don't worry, Colonel Wallace is here to the rescue to tell you what went down. She was certainly not a woman of family, 
but well-educated, accomplished, rich, and excessively in love with his friend. Mm-hmm. Mr. Elliot. There had been the charm. She had sought him. Without that attraction, not all her money would have tempted Elliot, and Sir Walter was, moreover, assured of her having been a very fine woman. Meaning attractive. Mm-hmm. Here was a great deal to soften the business. A very fine woman, with a large fortune, in love with him! Exclamation point. Sir Walter seemed to admit it as a complete an apology. And though Elizabeth could not see the circumstance in quite so favorable a light, she allowed it be a great extenuation. Let's just, just to retread, what were the Elliot's like, objections to this marriage that Mr. Elliot made? Well, in their mind, probably, like, Mr. Elliot was supposed to, quote-unquote, marry Elizabeth uh, to kind of keep it in the family right. because he was due to inherit Kelly Inch and she was the firstborn daughter mm-hmm. to the current um, owner. It just made sense. Right. But then Mr. Elliot did commit the, gr- the grievous sin of not marrying Elizabeth, even mm. though they kind of carried on a courtship for a little bit, maybe. <sighs> I know. It was mostly in Elizabeth's mind, this courtship. All right, fine, fine. Uh, Yeah, they might have talked twice or something. Uh, But then going off to marry a rich woman of no titles, no family. That's the big sin, really, is that she had no rank. She's of no family, right? Yeah, Yeah, she was just loaded. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Like, she could have been, like, a Miller's daughter for all they know or whatever, right? right? Yeah. And so here we have Colonel Wallace explaining it as... Well, it was love. He he married yeah. her for love, but also she maybe it's also maybe kind of implied that she might have like trapped him. <laughs> she loved him. Yeah, she pursued him. Don't worry, Mr. Elliot did not go out trying to catch her, right? Right. Like, she fell in love with him. Uh-huh. What was he supposed to do? Yeah. <laughs> and Sir Walter's like, "You know what? I get it." Yeah. <laughs> you know. Oh yeah, yeah, but then also and she was very handsome. Uh-huh. She was a very pr- she was a attractive woman. With a lot of money, and she was in love with him, you know? Yeah. What are you going to do? What are you going to do? How are you supposed to resist that, right? Yeah. I think two, if the, if only two out of the three reasons were given, Sir Walter probably would not have <clears throat> forgiven Mr. Elliot. But uh-huh. the fact that she was also an attractive woman, I think, to Mr. El- to Sir Walter, that would have been like, all right, well, then I, I kind of understand. <laughs> and I think the the... You know, the fact that she came after him plays with Sir Walter because it's like, oh, I get it, you know. I like to have my ego stroked, right? Oh, yeah, it's like, oh, yeah, like, I know what it's like to have all these... (laughs) I won't say it, never mind. To just, like, have all these women fawning over me. (laughs) Yeah, right. It's difficult. It's difficult (laughs) to turn them all down. Exactly. Um, I don't know, like this. Sir Walter seemed to admit it as a complete apology. Even though there was no sorry. Yeah. There was no... There was just an explanation. As so, so and yeah, to Sir Walter, it's like, well, he said he apologized, and it's fine. Sir Walter was waiting for an apology, and he's like, you know what, that's it, this is <laughs> it, yeah, yeah. And then, uh, but funny, <clears throat> I like this little insert Elizabeth could not see the circumstance in quite so favorable a light. I think it just because you know, then you're kind of because all, all that's left is Elizabeth being compared to this wife, which means. Was she not rich enough? Was she yeah, not handsome right, enough? Right. Was she not well educated enough? Uh-huh. No, Elizabeth is not quite so willing to <laughs> accept it as a complete apology because she still feels like she's been spurned in her mind. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Not out of love, but just her ego was bruised. But she admits it, she allows it that it is a great extenuation. Like, 
she, you know, she's a little bit more willing to accept it now than before. Yeah, like, there's more context. Uh-huh. Mr. Elliot had called repeatedly, had dined with them once, evidently delighted by the distinction of being asked, for they gave no dinners in general. Why do you think that is? Maybe because no one likes them? I think it's because they're broke. <laughs> oh, <laughs> right? yeah. Yeah, yeah. But I'm sure they're playing it off as, you know, it's a societal thing. Mm-hmm. We're just playing hard to get. Okay. Delighted, in short, by every proof of cousinly notice, and placing his whole happiness in being on intimate terms in Camden Place. So, yeah, Mr. Elliot's delighted by the cousinly notice of being asked to dinner, and, according to Sir Walter and Elizabeth, has placed his whole happiness (laughs) in being on intimate terms in Camden Place. Great. There's got to be, like, the happiness. There's got to be a little bit of an implication in, in what? In what do they think? Wait, sorry, say that again? Oh, that he's gonna, like, ask her to marry him. Right, maybe. I think that's, like, what's revolving in their minds. For sure. Okay, and now here, let's go into Anne's mind. Anne listened, but without quite understanding it. Meaning she doesn't buy this. Something smells fishy. Uh Allowances, large allowances, she knew, must be made for the ideas of those who spoke. (laughs) She heard it all under embellishment. All that sounded extravagant or irrational in the progress of the reconciliation might have no origin but in the language of the relators. Nice. Okay, so what is what's this saying? What is this? Uh, what are these sentences saying? Okay, and listen, but without quite understanding it. Mm. She's sort of like something doesn't quite add up here. Right, right. Allowances, large allowances, she knew must be made for the ideas of those who spoke. Mm-hmm. So she knows she has basically she has to listen to everything with a huge grain of salt. Right, exactly. She knows that everything that Sir Walter and Elizabeth are saying right now has to kind of essentially be um, filtered down, like. What is it that Hemingway says? Like, remove the adjectives or whatever. Yeah. So, like, she's she's like, okay, all of this flat. She's like, literally needs to like, like, remove all of the flowery language that her her father and sister are using to describe Mr. Elliot to kind of, kind of like finally like, boil down to like the heart of the matter, mm-hmm. which is that like Mr. Elliot showed up out of nowhere, and has seemingly gotten into Sir Walter and Elizabeth's good graces, but like. Like, for no reason. For no reason. But she's like, well, I've got to, you know, I'm taking this with a grain of salt because I'm hearing, everything I'm hearing must be an embellishment, right? Mm -hmm. Everything that sounded extravagant or irrational in the progress of this reconciliation might have no origin but in the language of the relators, right? Yeah. Maybe, like, it sounds so crazy and irrational just because, like, they're embellishing it like crazy, right? Yeah. That Mr. Elliot would, like, show up on his knees being like, please take me back in the family. That's right. We know he didn't do that. <laughs> okay. Still, however, Anne had the sensation of there being something more than immediately appeared in Mr. Elliot's wishing, after an interval of so many years, to be well received by them. Okay. Mm. In a worldly view, he had nothing to gain by being on terms with Sir Walter, nothing to risk by a state of variance. Meaning, like, to continue to be... D, yeah, like, um, distant like, from them, yeah. right? In all probability, he was already the richer of the two, and the Kelly Inch estate would as surely be his hereafter as the title. So, like, Anne is like, this is fishy because, like, he's not getting any money from us. Like, he's already richer than we are. He's married this rich woman who's died, 
And, like, it doesn't matter what Sir Walter thinks. He's getting the estate and the title when Sir Walter dies, right? Right. So why is he... What is... What's the deal with this reconciliation? Why is he begging for forgiveness now? Mm-hmm. A, a sensible man. And Mr. Elliot had looked like a very sensible man. Why should it be an object to him to make this reconciliation? She could only offer one solution. It was, perhaps, for Elizabeth's sake... There might really have been a liking formerly, though convenience and accident had drawn him in a different way. <laughs> and now that he could afford to please himself, he might mean to pay his addresses to her. So, one of the reasons Mr. Elliot, you know, if we discount this story of Colonel Wallace, that he was just, like, browbeaten into this marriage, basically. <laughs> or, I don't know, he was just so flattered and charmed in this marriage. One of the reasons he would have wanted to marry this rich woman is because he is not independently wealthy and he wasn't going to get any of the money from Kelly Inch until Sir Walter died, right? Right. So he would have married this woman to get money immediately. Mm-hmm. And it's like, now that he has the money, maybe he wants to go back and marry Elizabeth. Maybe there had been like a former liking there, right? Maybe, yeah. I also want to say, I just realized now, like, having his friend put essentially put words into his dead wife's mouth about this courtship it's pretty fucked up yeah oh definitely like oh she pursued me you know Uh she was in love with me she was obsessed with me Uh and she's not here to like say anything uh, like uh, about like for or against that so it's kind of a little perverse it is oh let's never forget that his wife is dead and not very long ago that she died no he was still wearing black in bath so can't be much more than a year really if even a year yet and he's already going around being like i was forced into this marriage Uh you know i you know how could i say no she begged me to marry her (laughs) or his friend is saying that right who put these like who told colonel wallace to say this you know Mm. (laughs) okay yeah it's definitely messed up. Let's never never forget that Mr. Elliot's wife is not cold. Not not yet cold <laughs> in the ground. Okay. Uh, Elizabeth was certainly very handsome, with well-bred, elegant manners, and her character might never have been penetrated by Mr. Elliot, <laughs> knowing her but in public, and when very young himself. So, so this yeah. is Anne kind of giving Elizabeth a, the benefit of the mm-hmm. doubt. It's like... You know, Elizabeth has nice good manners, she's well-bred, and when they first met, like, it was only in public settings, so maybe Mr. Elliot hadn't quite penetrated Elizabeth's character Uh, yet. And is trying to, like, ration why he would actually be interested in Elizabeth. And (laughs) one of the major reasons is, well, maybe he just doesn't know her very well, right? (laughs) Uh, Okay. How her temper and understanding might bear the investigation of his present, keener time of life was another concern. And rather a fearful one. Ha. Huh. Uh, most earnestly did she wish that he might not be too nice or too observant if Elizabeth were his object, and that Elizabeth was disposed to believe herself so, and that her friend Mrs. Clay was encouraging the idea, seemed apparent by a glance or two between them, while Mr. Elliot's frequent visits were talked of. Hmm. Okay, so how Elizabeth's temper and understanding might bear the investigation of Mr. Elliot's present keener time of life was another concern to Anne, and a rather fearful one. And most earnestly did she wish that he was not too nice, like, not too scrupulous, I guess, right, in what he required of a wife, or too observant 
if Elizabeth really really was the object of his affection, right? Mm. Because because if, if he yeah. got to know her, he'd realize that she kind of sucks. If he has any discernment at all or any like scruples, he's not going to accept Elizabeth. Yeah. So it's interesting in Anne's mind. It's like better that he like marry her sooner and then and then discover her wonderful personality after they're married. Uh huh. And she also recognizes that yes, this is going through Elizabeth's mind that Mr. Elliot is here to make amends and win me back, right? Yeah, because yeah, Elizabeth, yeah. She, sees El- Miss, she sees Elizabeth and Mrs. Clay sharing, like, glances. Knowing glances. Knowing glances. they speak of it's Mr. Like, Elliot. like, ooh, Mr. Yeah. Elliot is here again. <laughs> Would you like to continue? Anne mentioned the glimpses she had had of him at Lyme, but without being much attended to. <laughs> oh, yes, perhaps it had been Mr. Elliot. They did not know. It might be him, perhaps. Wow. So dismissive. They don't think that Anne really saw Mr. Elliot. No, meanwhile, she was the only one who had a real connection with Mr. Uh Elliot. They could... Twice! They could not listen to her description of him. They were describing him themselves. Great. And shut up about your description of Mr. Elliot. We're describing Mr. Elliot. (laughs) (laughs) This is what Mr. Elliot really looks like. (laughs) Uh, Sir Walter especially. He did justice to his very gentlemanlike appearance his air of elegance and fashion, his good-shaped face, his sensible eye, but at the same time, quote, must lament to his being very much underhung, a defect which time seemed to have increased. Okay, Grace, what does that mean? What does it mean that Mr. Elliot is underhung? Oh, I think we all know what it means. No, I'm <laughs> underhung actually just means you have an underbite. So, hey, this is a big strike against Mr. Elliot. He's got a little bit of an underbite. Which he seemed to have already had, and which has only increased with time. Uh-huh. Nor could uh, Sir Walter pretend to say that ten years had not altered almost every feature for the worse. This Mr. Walter, the 90% of his brain, like maybe even 95% of his brain, is just occupied by watching people's appearances. Uh. Just like criticizing them, even comparing them with how they used to look 10 years ago. Oh, the slightest defect he will notice. It's like he has an almanac in his mind <laughs> of every face he sees. And well, we'll get to that. Hey, hey, justice to Sir Walter. Even in his fawning over Mr. Elliot, he can't help but see if there's a defect, he's gonna see it, you know. Mr. Elliot <clears throat> appeared to think that he, Sir Walter, was looking exactly as he had done when they last parted. But Sir Walter had not been able to return the compliment entirely, which embarrassed him. He did not mean to complain, however. Mr. Elliot was better look better to look at than most men, and he had no objection to being seen with him anywhere. Mm. So at least Sir Walter had the good great had the like good manners to feel embarrassed that he couldn't return the compliment. Uh. Which like okay, here's another amongst many in the past now, another red flag of Mr. Elliot is that Mr. Elliot is saying Sir Walter looks exactly as handsome as he did 10 years ago. Well, he knows how to get on Sir Walter's good side. That's exactly the compliment Sir Walter wants to hear. Yeah, and it's so funny. It's like, I'm, it's, it's this crazy thing now where I almost feel a little bit bad for Sir Walter because Sir Walter's hearing this and he genuinely believes it and he wishes he could return his compliment <laughs> yeah, to Mr. Right. Elliot, but he just can't. He cannot, yeah. Because every feature of his has gotten worse uh, in the last 10 years. But especially that underhang. Underhung. <laughs> that damn underhung. <laughs> Mr. Elliot and his friends in Marlborough Buildings were talked of the whole evening Colonel Wallace had been so impatient to be introduced to them, and Mr. Elliot so anxious that he should. 
And there was a Mrs. Wallace, at present only known to them by description, as she was in daily expectation of her confinement. Meaning what? She's pregnant and she's about to give birth. <clears throat> yeah, like so. Like any day now. They've never met Mrs. Wallace because she is on the verge of giving birth, but they, they, they know she's a fine woman by description, right? <laughs> but Mr. Elliot spoke of her as a most charming woman, quite worthy of being known in Camden Place, and as soon as she recovered, they were to be acquainted. Sir Walter thought much of Mrs. Wallace. She was said to be an excessively pretty woman. Beautiful. He longed to see her. He hoped she might make some amends for the many very plain faces he was continually passing in the streets. <laughs> okay, and now this is one of my all-time favorite passages in this book. <laughs> the worst of Bath was the number of its plain women. He did not mean to say that there were no pretty women, but the number of the plain ones was all out of proportion. He had frequently observed, as he walked... That one handsome face would be followed by 30 or 5 and 30 frights. <laughs> <laughs> and once, as he had stood in a shop in Bond Street, he had counted 87 women go by, one after another, without there being a tolerable face among them. I believe this happened. <laughs> one, two, <laughs> three, just counting all the ugly women he sees going by. This is... How he occupies his time, uh -huh. just watching people go by, assessing whether or not they're pretty. I love that he calls them frights, too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. For one handsome face would be followed by 30 or 5 and 30 frights. <laughs> Total, like, horror shows. <laughs> this sounds like, like, hell. This uh -huh. sounds like purgatory. Yeah. Dear God. <laughs> You see that woman's face? <laughs> so plain. And then I love this. He's just uh, standing in the shop, counting all the ugly women, 87. That one tolerable face. <laughs> this is the worst of Bath. It had been a frosty morning, to be sure. A sharp frost, which hardly one woman in a thousand could stand the test of. But still, there certainly were a dreadful multitude of ugly women in Bath. <laughs> a dreadful multitude. <laughs> <laughs> and as for the men, they were infinitely worse. <laughs> Such scarecrows as the streets were full of. <laughs> scarecrows. So don't worry, Sir Walter, it's not just the women he is <laughs> judging. It's uh, the men are even worse. <laughs> I, I feel like Sir Walter probably puts higher value on male beauty than female beauty. Definitely, yeah. We hear him talk more about men, male appearances. Mm -hmm. Okay. <laughs> Such scarecrows as the streets were full of. It was evident how little the women were used to the sight of anything tolerable by the effect which a man of decent appearance produced. He had never walked anywhere arm in arm with Colonel Wallace, I love this, walking arm in arm down the street, who was a fine military figure, though sandy-haired, uh -oh. <laughs> without observing that every woman's eye was upon him, upon Colonel Wallace. Every woman's eye was sure to be upon Colonel Wallace. Modest Sir Walter. He was not allowed to escape, however. His daughter, Mrs. Clay, united in hinting that Colonel Wallace's companion might have as good a figure as Colonel Wallace, and certainly was not sandy-haired. <laughs> <laughs> what does it mean to be sandy-haired? I think it just means blonde, right? Sandy-haired just means, like... Like... Or maybe not blonde, but kind of like a dirty blonde. Yeah, maybe. I guess it's just like not all of one beautiful, lustrous color, right? Yeah. 
I mean, Sir Walter hates freckles, so yeah. That's right. So it's like maybe whatever the color freckles are is the uh, color hair. Oh my gosh. <laughs> I love this passage. This is, Sir Walter, is he is such a type. Uh, uh-huh. And also, it feels very modern, just like this man, like, look at all these ugly women around <laughs> here. Look at these scarecrows walking the streets, right? Yeah, yeah. And then I love it. It all wraps up to, you know, the women must never see a handsome man because look at the effect Colonel Wallace and I produce when we're walking arm in arm down the street. And he's the one who says everyone was looking at Colonel Wallace. Well, he knows. He's laying out for compliments here. Yeah, he's like, oh, don't be so modest. I'm sure everyone was also looking at Colonel Wallace's walking friend, who we, who, by the way, does not have sandy colored hair <laughs> this is pure austin this this sentence modest sir walter I love it. <laughs> poor it's all it's like poor richard Musgrove. Uh, poor yeah, yeah. Uh, modest sir walter okay <laughs> i guess we should the fact that she would call him modest is the height of satire oh yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, it's it's in someone else's... It's in the his it's, audience's yeah, voice. Yeah, his audience's voice. Yeah, Elizabeth and Mrs. Clay. No, but that's hilarious. Modest Sir Walter. I like that. He was not allowed to escape, Uh-oh. however. As if he was trying to hide from right, compliments, right, right. which he was actively fishing for. Well, it's just like he knows. He knows in his mind who is the more attractive of the two, you know? Yeah. yeah. It's funny because, yeah, like in this whole paragraph, it's not enough that he has to describe how ugly everyone is in Bath. He has to end it with like, well, you know, everyone in, in Bath is ugly, but more importantly, I am beautiful. I just love this image, too, of him and Colonel Wallace walking arm in arm down the street, like raiding all the faces they see. Meanwhile, Colonel Wallace's wife is about to give birth. Well, was Colonel Wallace, like, raiding the women, or men and women? I don't think... No, Sir Walter is, but I feel like, you know, that's the conversation they gotta be having, right? I guess that's right, yeah. Walking yeah, you're arm right. in arm. Meanwhile, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Mrs. Wallace is about to give birth. So... Mrs. Wallace is confined. I think this is all telling us, like, Sir Walter's in a really good mood. Like, this is what he likes to do, you know? He likes to, like, stroll around feeling like the most handsome man in the world, like, rating all these, like, faces. Well, like, uh, Mr. Shepard, the lawyer, right, he was on the nose where he was like, he's going to do much better in Bath than in London because Uh he's going to be the top dog in Bath. He's going to be the big fish in Uh a small pond, and he gets to look down on everyone but also live in a, in a city and <laughs> and just be that and be the handsomest person in the whole town uh-huh. and not have to like feel like he's in competition with anyone. This is it's one of the most hilarious passages in literature. Oh just yeah, just this like man, this vain old man <laughs> going on and on about how ugly everyone is. I would have loved if we could see an adaptation where like someone did this monologue, like a like a. Like a sort of Walter who actually had this monologue going on uh, about counting the eighty-seven <laughs> right. women and not a single, not a single handsome woman among them. All plain face, all plainos. Uh, all the scarecrows. All scarecrows. Frights and scarecrows. The women are frights and the men are scarecrows. <laughs> what even does that mean? A, a scarecrow? Like they were tall and lanky maybe i don't know or just like you know like their scarecrows are made to f- scare off crows yeah just I guess like so. ugly 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 men right, <laughs> right? Yeah, yeah so they're yeah. both to, in his eyes both are frightening because both because like the women are frights and the men are scarecrows <laughs> shocking how many <laughs> ugly ugly people that's the worst of bath the ugly women <laughs> oh, okay 
Let's continue. As much as I could talk about this all day. Okay, and then, of course, what is Sir Walter's very next question after all of this? How is Mary looking, <laughs> said Sir Walter, in the height of his good humor? Yeah, this, is, this is more just proof. Sir Walter is just, like, rolling. He's living on top of the world. Only when he's in the best of moods will he, like, deign to ask about his youngest daughter. And it, Well, what is the question? It's not how she is. It's just how she's looking. <laughs> yes, exactly. How is Mary looking, said Sir Walter, in the height of his good humor? The last time I saw her, she had a red nose, but I hope that may not happen every day. <laughs> last time I saw her, she was ugly as hell. Uh, <laughs> her nose was all pimply and full of capillaries. <laughs> but I hope that may not happen every day. Oh, no. That must have been quite accidental. In general, she has been in very good health and looks very good since Michaelmas. Great. If I thought... It would not tempt her to go out in sharp winds and grow coarse. I would send her a new hat and pelisse. Anne was considering whether she should venture to suggest that a cap, that a gown or a cap would not be liable to any such misuse when a knock on the door suspended everything. <gasps> okay. All right, all right. So Walter, Sir Walter's like, if I didn't think it would tempt her to go outside, I'd send her a new hat and pelisse. And Anne is like... Wondering whether she should say that a gown or a cap would not be liable to any misuse. Mary is not going to go out walking. Why? Um, Even if she gets a new hat and cap. Oh, because she doesn't like walking. A new cap and gown. Yeah, yeah. Because she doesn't like walking. Okay. And then, uh uh-oh, a knock on the the door door. suspends everything. A knock at the door, and so late, it was 10 o'clock. Could it be Mr. Elliot? They knew he was to dine in Lansdowne Crescent. It was possible that he might stop in his way home and ask them how they did. They could think of no one else. Mrs. Clay decidedly thought it was Mr. Elliot's knock. Thanks, Mrs. Clay. Mrs. Clay was right. With all the state which a butler and footboy could give, Mr. Elliot was ushered (laughs) into the room. Great. Ten o'clock, even by modern standards, that's a late time to just, like, drop on by. That's true. I mean, I guess, like, the wealthier people, like, did keep later hours but this is like close to bedtime yeah even back then this this is a very intimate acquaintance uh-huh. now. and it, i mean it's a signal of how often he's there that mrs clay's like that must be his knock i know mr elliot's knock right and also maybe some foreshadowing oh i didn't even think of that mm. but also like who like mrs clay is not taking hard bets here it's like who the hell else could it be, <laughs> be 10 o'clock at yeah night, mrs yeah. clay is not you know putting much out at put on putting a lot at risk by saying i bet it's mr elliot That's like mr elliot's the- knock I'll, i know that knock anywhere who else could it be <laughs> mrs clay it was the same the very same man with no difference but of dress with no difference from from when from bath yeah no, no sorry, from sorry. lime from yeah, lime yeah. sorry these one syllable names Anne drew a little back while the others received his compliments and her sister his apologies for calling at so unusual an hour. But, quote, he could not be so near without wishing to know that neither she nor her friend had taken the cold day before, and blah, 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 etc., etc., <laughs> which was all as politely done and as politely taken as possible. But her part must follow then. Mm-hmm. Sir Walter talked of his youngest daughter. <laughs> I guess he just forgot about Anne. <laughs> Oh, well, yeah. Mr. Elliot must... You mean Mary. Mary, sorry. Yeah. Mr. Elliot must give him leave to present him to his youngest daughter, 
there was no occasion for remembering Mary. That's an Austin specialty that... For a second, Mr. Walter thinks Anne is, in fact, his youngest daughter when he has another younger daughter. When not even, like, five minutes ago, he was asking about (laughs) Mary. Who knows what he's thinking. And Anne, smiling and blushing, very becomingly showed to Mr. Elliot their pretty features, which he had by no means forgotten, and instantly saw, with amusement at his little start of surprise, that he had not at all, he had not been at all aware of who she was. Okay, hold on. I want to come back to this. But just another thing I want to say about Mr. Sir Walter forgetting about Mary's existence. Maybe that's just evidence of, like, the kind of, like, rapture of spirits that Mr. Elliot throws <laughs> Sir Walter in. Like, he forgets, like, all these, like, common facts about himself. It's like, oh, Mr. Elliot, you know, my youngest daughter, let me show you. Okay. And then Anne, smiling and blushing, very became, becomingly showed to Mr. Elliot the pretty features which he had by no means forgotten, and instantly saw, with his, um, with amusement at his little start of surprise, that he had not been at all aware of who she was. I like how this starts out. She very becomingly mm-hmm. showed to Mr. Elliot the pretty features which he had not forgotten. It's like, it's not like, oh, and, Mr. and Anne stood in front of Mr. Elliot. It's Anne is presenting the features that he has remembered in his brain. Mm-hmm. It's like... I don't know. It's a very, like, she's putting on this face. Do you know what I mean? Right. No, I get that. Yeah, well, it's part of, it's more of the the re-blossoming of Anne, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Like, showing these, becomingly showing, you know, right? Becomingly showed the pretty features, which she had no, by no means forgotten, and Anne instantly saw, with amusement at his little start of surprise, Mm -hmm. that he had not been aware of who she was. Right. It's very interesting. We don't get any kind of, like, um... Um, like, there's no, like, and we're about to see, and we're about to see how Anne feels about Mr. Elliot, and it's just, like, it's just, like, a very interesting, like, she both is, like, the pretty features on her face are taking, like, an objective role here, but Anne is playing the active role in watching Mr. Elliot's reaction and seeing that Mr. Elliot didn't know who she was. Mm-hmm. I, it's like it's almost Anne is aware of how well she's presenting yeah. herself, how well she's showing herself right now. It's a very right? confident, very alpha move here. Uh-huh. Like, she is, like, basically posing in front of her him. Right. Like, with her blushing and her pretty smile and watching his surprise. Like, she is... She's like the dom here. Uh-huh. Well, she has all the advantage in this situation. She knows who Mr. Elliot is. He doesn't know who she is uh, until this moment. Mm-hmm. He looked completely astonished, but not more astonished than pleased. Mm-hmm. He's surprised, but he's happy about it. His eyes brightened, and with the most perfect alacrity, he welcomed the relationship. Mm-hmm. Quickness, yeah. Alluded to the past, and entreated to be received as an acquaintance already. Mm. Okay, well, the, the, the plea, the how, why do you think he's so pleased? Well, he definitely, like, admired her before, so it's like, look, Look at this woman that I randomly, like, admired, like, and guess what? We are now about to become acquainted, right? Right, right. Uh, I think it's because maybe he was planning to maybe propose to Elizabeth, but now... another better alternative, maybe, right? He's like, oh, Uh, wow, plot twist. Yeah. And now I get to propose to this even prettier, perhaps. I like that reading. The younger... The prettier, younger sister. I, I'm no longer stuck with Elizabeth. Right. Now, right? I mean, uh-huh. I mean, like you know, 
not to give Mr. Elliot any kind of like not saying he's a good guy or anything like that, but I'm sure he's aware that El- Elizabeth is also pretty like bland and yeah, boring. Exactly. <laughs> I like that. That's a good reading. Yeah, yeah. And now he's like, hey, guess what? We're an acquaintance already, right? Yeah, we yeah. already know each other. Yeah. He was quite as good-looking as he had appeared at Lyme. His countenance improved by speaking, and his manners were so exactly what they ought to be, so polished, so easy, so particularly agreeable, that she could compare them in excellence to only one person's manners. Mm. They were not the same, but they were perhaps equally good wow all right so of course wentworth never far from her mind Mm -hmm. it's interesting that anna's you know this is a lot of compliments for mr elliot it's like look uh you know he's he's just so naturally so polished so easy so agreeable right Mm -hmm. only she could only compare them in excellence to one person's manners like of course she like sees this like man who's like agreeable to her and like Wentworth comes to her mind right away. Yeah, that is that is very true. Wentworth has not left the building yet. No, I guess that's just like <laughs> attractiveness and Wentworth are synonymous <laughs> with Anne. And she even says they were not the same, but they were perhaps equally good. So mm. they're different, definitely, in the way they conduct themselves, but maybe they're equally good. That's Yeah. yeah. Well, we would not describe Wentworth as polished and... I don't know, even agreeable? I don't know. He, what was he even like? He was kind of like regaling stories. He was very charismatic. Uh, he's charismatic. He's like an action hero sprung into life. <laughs> he No, he's much different than Mr. Elliot. Yeah. Who is more of a, sh- like a schmoozer, kind of. Definitely. Yeah, well, it's like, it's, it's interesting here. His manners were exactly as they ought to be. Mm-hmm. Like, like he should be these things he should be polished and he should be easy and he should be agreeable he meets all the standards of a gentleman yeah he fulfills like what it means to be a gentleman basically. right which maybe gives it a little bit of an air of like artificiality yeah right yeah. Whereas, a little too polished, a little too right? polished uh-huh. yeah. okay he sat down with them mr elliot and improved their conversation very much mm, of course <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> There could be no doubt of his being a sensible man. Ten minutes were enough to certify that. His tone, his expressions, his choice of subject, his knowing where to stop. <laughs> it was all the operation of a sensible, discerning mind. Well, that's what I mean. He's yeah, being very yeah. calculating here. It's the operation, right? Mm. He knows what a gentleman acts like. As soon as he could, he began to talk to her, to uh, to Anne mm-hmm. of Lyme. As soon as he could, yeah. Wanting to compare opinions respecting the place. But especially wanting to speak of the circumstance of their happening to be guests in the same inn at the same time, to to give his own route route to understand something of hers, and regret that he should have lost such an opportunity of paying his respects to her. Mm-hmm. She gave him a short account of her party and business at Lyme. His regret increased as he listened. He had spent his whole solitary evening in the room adjoining theirs, had heard voices mirth continually thought they must be a most delightful set of people, longed to be with them, but certainly without the smallest suspicion of his possessing the shadow of a right to introduce himself. Because, mm-hmm. yeah, you it's, it's a social no-no to just walk into a room and be like, hi, I'm so-and-so. Knock on the door. Yeah. Like, I hey. hear fun happening here. <laughs> is this yeah, where the party yeah. is? But now he knows he would have had a reason to introduce himself. Yeah. Uh-huh. Well, you know, he didn't know. So. Yeah, yeah. If he had... 
Bud asked who the party were, the name of Musgrove would have told him enough. And here it is in quotes. Well, it would serve to cure him of an absurd. Sorry. Well, it would serve to cure him of an of an absurd practice of never asking a question at an inn, which he had adopted when quite a young man, on the principle of its being very ungenteel to be curious. <laughs> so why didn't he ask who that party was staying next to him? It was ungenteel to be curious. <laughs> it's ungenteel to be curious. Yeah, I think he's kind of like roasting himself a little bit here. But yeah, it's also, yeah, go ahead. No, what? It's also just, like, it plays more into all this, what we've been saying. It's, like, he is, like, he has studied what it is to be a gentleman, right? Mm-hmm. And has, like, molded himself based on that. Yeah, yeah. He adopted at a young man the principle of that being, of being very, of the, of, <laughs> of it being very ungenteel to be curious. Uh, genteel young men are not curious. <laughs> well, that's, like, the, the word ungenteel and the word, um, what is it, um... What's, what was it? Um, um, unfeudal. 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 Yeah. These are like such old timey words that like I'm sure he has adopted and kind of ingrained in himself. Like you, like looking in the mirror, like you are a gentleman. Uh-huh. You must not be unfeudal. You must not be ungenteel. I mean, he has the Elliot name, but obviously he doesn't have the wealth. So I think, you know. Mr. Elliot definitely, like, this is like, the Mr. Elliot that we see right now on these pages is a creation of Mr. Elliot, right? He's right. like, I'm going to become a gentleman, and this is how I do it. Yeah. And I think it's even a it's a testament to his wiliness, maybe, not to give too much away about him, that he is like, he even has the ability to kind of make fun of this thing that he does, which is mm. like, I have made myself into the perfect gentleman, and guess what? I wasn't always great at it, right? <laughs> when I was a young man, like, I adopted some habits that, like, are kind of silly, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. It just goes to show, right, he's not just, like, by the book. He's uh-huh. not, like, um, I don't know. He's not, like, rigid and, and unfunny and unfeeling like Mr. Collins, for example, right. who has sort of, like made himself into a the the type of person that would be a i don't know a <laughs> like a a boot kisser yeah. of, of a lady but like yeah mr elliot seems to carry himself with enough confidence now maybe it's the years of being wealthy and being married to a, a wealthy woman having wealth himself that's sort of like you know let him unbutton his top button a little bit He's got a sense of humor about himself. Yeah. Like, not only is he the perfect gentleman, but he can even, like, joke about himself a little bit, right? right? He's like, oh, I heard those voices, and it was so, it just sounded like so much mirth, and I wish I had joined you guys, but, you know, I, it was ingrained in me at a really young age that the, it was it, ungenteel it, to be, be curious. curious. Yeah, yeah. I didn't even think to ask the innkeeper. Meanwhile, like, they'd ask the innkeeper who he was. Uh. Well, it's also the Musgroves, <laughs> you know. That's not right. But it's also maybe a difference in being born into this kind of wealth than marrying into it. Like, if you're right. born into it, you don't have to worry about looking ungenteel because you are gentility. You uh, are born into gentility. So they can ask the, the innkeeper without much hesitation. But Mr. Elliot's like, ooh, is that is that going to make me look bad? Is yeah, that, like, something yeah. I'm not supposed to do? Mm. Blah, blah, blah. Well, he goes on to say, the notions of a young man of one or two and twenty, said he, as to what is necessary in manners to make him quite the thing, are more absurd, I believe, than those of any set, any other set of beings in the world. I love that phrasing, to make him quite the thing. <laughs> <laughs> the folly of the means they often employ is only to be equaled by the folly of what they have in view. Okay, and it's going to say it literally, but obviously what's he talking about here? 
What is it? The notions of a man of young and uh, of a young man are the most absurd of any set of other beings in the world. The folly of the means they often employ is to be equaled only by the folly of what they have in view. And it goes on to say, but he must not be addressing his reflections to Anne alone. He knew it. He was soon diffused again among the others, and it was only at intervals that he could return to Lyme. So he's not just talking to Anne. He's talking about, like, hey, guess what? I know I messed up in the past by not, like, continuing this relationship with the Elliots, right? That's what he's saying. Like, the folly of, like, a young man. Young men are the most absurd in the world, and the folly of the means they employ is only to be equaled by the folly of what they have in view. Oh, I see. So he's, like, referring to tacitly, like his rejection of the Elliots, or, like, his not continuing the relationship, and, most importantly, the marriage with his now-dead wife. Yeah. He's, like, this is, like, his tacit way of saying, you know what, I was a dope when I was, like, in my early 20s, right? Mm-hmm. Like, I do, I did some silly things, as all young men do, right? Yeah, more to, like, basically kind of absolve him from blame. Uh-huh. By, by By claiming to be... The person to blame he, right yeah and that's why it's like his ref- he must not be addressing his reflections to Anne alone <laughs> well okay i well hold on so i think that's kind of like i do do you agree i think this is like a tacit uh reference to his marriage this I sort think, of the folly the folly of young men i think it no i think he's more playing to i don't think it's quite that honest yet i think it's saying the folly of the means they often employ, like, him being, I think he's referring to, like, because here he's like, oh, I was, I was, I thought it was too ungentlemanly to ask about your party, so I didn't. Mm. And maybe he's also referring to, and I was too, I thought it was too ungentlemanly to ask why I was being shunned right, by the family. Yeah, yeah. So I didn't. So he's saying, like, those were the mistakes of a young 21-year-old man. And so now I know better than to do that. It's like, I'd rather, what is it? Um, yeah, like, I'd rather, I'd ra- like, I'd rather just, um, what does it say? Sorry. <laughs> the folly of the means they often employ is only to be equaled by the folly of what they have in view. As it, yes. So it's like, the only thing worse than my own, you know, gentlemanliness preventing me from reconciling with the family. Uh, The only thing worse than that is not reconciling it with it now. It's not, like, by the folly of what they have in view. I think that's referring to, like, the possibility of reconciliation. I guess so. The folly of what they have in view. I mean, he is just, like, kind of speaking generally. This is more my reading into it that he's, like, referencing this past. Mm Mm-hmm. But the view, like, it just seems to mean, like, the, the marriage with the, the rich woman, kind of. Oh, okay. The folly of the means they often employ is only to be equaled by the folly of what they have in view. I mean, it's very, like, it's shrouded. Like, mm-hmm. he's not outright stating, like, what he's talking about. But I, I, hmm. I don't know. You tell us, listeners. <laughs> what do you think? The notions of a young man of one or two at 20 is as to what is necessary in manners to make him quite the thing are more absurd, I believe, than those of any other set of beings mm-hmm. in the world. So, and then he goes on to say, the folly of the means they employ is only to be equaled by the folly of what they have in view. In view meaning, like, they're the things that they want to, what they want to achieve. 
And maybe that's just like the thing that I, the folly is wanting to achieve, like build myself into like this gentleman, maybe. Maybe. Oh, that's, I know. It, it's a bit vague. It, uh, or, or rather, it's a bit like, yeah, I don't know. It's uh, maybe, maybe that just goes to show like he's speaking in. I mean, I'm not it, saying it's supposed to be like an aphorism. Yeah, kind yeah. Of, you know, not saying there isn't true meaning in it, but it is like h- him making these grand statements and not necessarily taking blame for the things that he ought to be blamed for. I think, like, generally it's kind of... Generally, and this is to Anne, it's like, yeah, like, he is, like, acknowledging, yeah, I was a dope in the past, right? Mm -hmm. But hey, so we're all young men, (laughs) right? I guess so. I I think he's more talking about his own, like adoption of these like sets of principles that he thinks a gentleman should have Mm -hmm. so like the folly of the means they often employ of being of like adhering to these rules of a gentleman is only to be equaled by the folly of what they have in view like what they want to achieve Yeah, yeah yeah i guess so aka like marrying elizabeth Or, like, aka, or, like, I gotta get my fortune right now. Yeah, that's And, like, the true marrying, part. like, a rich woman, right? Oh, the I first see. rich woman that comes along. The folly of the means they often employ is only to be equaled by the folly of what they have. Oh, it, yeah, I see, I it's see. It's like, it could either be, like, the folly of the means of, like, you know, not being curious or whatever is only, like, equaled by the folly of, like, wanting to build myself into this ideal gentleman, which is silly. Like, that could be what he's saying. Mm. Or he could say the folly of the means, like, you know, like, the folly of, like, acting so gentlemanly is only to be equaled by the folly of what young men, like, want to achieve, which could be just, like, getting money right away, right? Marrying, like, the first rich woman that comes along. Yeah, yeah. Okay, I believe that. I think it's generally, I mean, maybe it's not so explicit, but I think it's generally supposed to be touching a little bit on, here's a slight extenuation for my past behavior, right? Yeah, I think so. I mean, it's definitely him trying to absolve himself of blame mm-hmm. by blaming it on himself, like, nine years ago. Like- I mean, it's a great, like, rhetorical <laughs> trick for being like, you know, it's like, yeah, I messed up, but hey, so do all young men, <laughs> right? <laughs> Yeah. Uh, okay. Well, then it says, but he must not be addressing his reflections to Anne alone. So, like, he shouldn't be talking just to Anne, mm. right? He knew it. He was soon diffused again among the others, and it was only at intervals, intervals that he could return to Lyme. Why must he not be addressing his reflections to Anne alone? Well, because he's he didn't spurn Anne, right? Yeah, I guess so. And it's also, like... Well, he's also got to, like, you know, rub elbows uh, with, with the... Sir Walter and Elizabeth. With the rest of the family. Like, he's here to seduce them all, right? (laughs) Not just Anne. Right. You want to keep reading? His inquiries, however, produce at length an account of the scene she had been engaged in there uh, soon after his leaving the place. Oh, what scene are we talking about? (laughs) Mm -hmm. Louisa's fall. The conking. (laughs) The conking. Having alluded to an accident, he must hear the whole. When he questioned, Sir Walter and Elizabeth began to question also. But the difference in their manner of doing it could not be unfelt. She could only compare Mr. Elliot to Lady Russell in the wish of really comprehending what had passed and in the degree of concern for what she must have suffered in witnessing it. Mm. So, of course, Sir Walter and Elizabeth are only going to ask Anne about what happened after 
another person asks her, right? Mm. After Mr. Elliot, I guess, specifically. Yeah, specifically Mr. Elliot. He stayed an hour with them. The elegant little clock on the mantelpiece had struck 11 with its silver sounds, and the watchman was beginning to be heard at a distance telling the same tale before Mr. Elliot or any of them seemed to feel that he had been there long. So yeah, this is just apparently a quick little uh, drop-in that he is like, he just swung by to make sure they're, uh, they didn't get sick in the cold weather, right? And now he's been there an hour. <laughs> That's right. Well, I'm sure, maybe he didn't even plan to stay very long until uh, he saw Anne. Mm. And we, okay, it says, the elegant little clock on the mantelpiece had struck 11 with its silver sounds. That's in quotes for some reason. Grace, your book has a, a note about it. We we don't know this. We don't really yeah, know. Yeah. There's just someone who says, who, it might allude to a, a poem, but... We don't really know why. And we also don't know why it's all of a sudden it's like in this like not POV necessary, but now we're talking about this the elegant little clock on the mantelpiece has struck eleven mm. with its silver sounds. And here's something very interesting. And the watchman was beginning to be heard at a distance telling the same tale. Mm-hmm. So like it's almost like we're panning out of the apartment now and we're like panning away from the conversation to the clock, which is now striking eleven, uh, and then out the window to the watchman who was like, "It's eleven or whatever." It's a very cinematic sort of move, you know. Mm-hmm. Here's this little like elegant little clock on the uh, Elliot's mantelpiece, yeah. and now here's the watchman yelling it out <laughs> from inside the window, right? A very interesting like um like Jane Austen does not talk about um what are they called like. Poor pe- essentially, like, poor peasants or whatever. The, the working class. The working class, yeah, yeah. yeah. Or even, you know, or even discuss, like, the ex- what's going on in the exterior of scenes. Like, what's happening outside of rooms, right? Right, what's yeah. going on in the exterior of conversations uh-huh. and things like that. But here we have, like, this elegant little, this, like, delicate little elegant clock mm-hmm. kind of in contrast with, like, the bellowing of a watchman uh-huh. who... Okay, a watchman, by the way, is just someone who is tasked with Literally yelling at the time. <laughs> <laughs> this is a time before wristwatch is. <laughs> well, yeah, also, like, not everyone owned a watch, and yeah, not everyone yeah. owned a clock. It's all over. <laughs> <laughs> it's a lot. <laughs> what a great job to have. Well, it's a great, like, contrast. Here's this elegant little clock, exactly. and here's this man bellowing outside. <laughs> I mean, it's, yeah, yeah. It speaks to, I, I feel like, the the duality of this scene, which is here are these people, like, here are these upper crust people having this, like, delightful little, like, visit, but there's so much, like, going on underneath it, right? Yeah. It kind of reminds me of, like, when, um, the, the bat, um, sorry, the, um, upper crust gang, they are all, like, going to visit the haters, and they're, like, talking, waxing, waxing poetics about nature and all that, and then they reach the top of the hill, and they look down, and it's all of these, Working class farmers uh-huh, and whatever workmen, yeah. who, like, couldn't give a shit about autumn or whatever. Uh-huh. Or the only thing autumn means to them is that it's time for the harvest. Yeah, yeah. Even the workmen who come to see, like, Louisa's fall being like, <laughs> we heard there was one dead lady and now we're going to get to see two. <laughs> like, Austin is, you know, she's she's aware of her own world. Like, No, yeah. You know. Also, Austin is writing of a society that was just, like, a little bit above hers, too. Mm-hmm. Like, she's not, she was not, you know, a lady. She was not heir to anything. So she would have been writing from the perspective of, like, maybe the Musgroves, maybe. She would be from, you know, her father was a clergyman. Yeah. They were not particularly rich. 
Like, more so the sisters in Sense and Sensibility would probably be the closest to, mm. like, Austin's true, like, you know, yeah. economic standing. Right. So, yeah, she is fully aware of that, that that there exists a universe outside of these, like, delicate ladies and gentlemen. I mean, that's an artistic choice. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and it's not even, like, the joke always is these delicate ladies and gentlemen are not so delicate. I mean, think about who's in this room, you know? You've got Sir Walter and Elizabeth, who are the two, you know, they are emblematic of, like the of rank and wealth and nobility and they are like they've spent they're thoroughly ridiculous ridiculous people who have spent <laughs> themselves into debt mm-hmm. you have mrs clay who is like a social climber like wiggling worming her way into this family that's right yeah. mr elliot is not that far off he is <laughs> now has a fortune but it's because he married like a rich woman of no birth that's right yeah who's dead uh-huh. who died very young lest we should forget um no yeah it, it's just a very I don't know. It's like these things just like I, when there's they so rarely happen that when they do happen, you like take note. It's interesting, yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, and it's also just being like, I mean, you have it's also like here's the decorious and the undecorious, and they're both signaling like, hey, something indecorious is kind of happening yeah. here, which is this guy, this dude is here at like eleven p.m. That's right. That's right. Yeah, you're right. Like the indecoriousness of a watchman bellowing out the time uh-huh. is saying like, it, it like. It, you know, kind of makes you pull, it pull, what's the word, pulls focus and makes you think like, what is Mr. Elliot doing here? Why mm-hmm. is he here so late in the evening? Like, you know, when everyone's basically asleep, you know, right. the, you know, t- the town has, you know, the town has, you know, closed down for the night. Everyone's about to go, everyone's in bed. And here we have Mr. Elliot, you know, like you said, like worming his way into this family. Uh-huh. It's, for, it's, for, we don't know why. Yeah, yeah. It's like something... Not all is well here. Uh-huh. <laughs> okay. Anne could not have supposed it possible that her first evening in Camden Place could have passed so well. <laughs> what a great night. Uh-huh. Here she was. Like, in the, early on in the in the first paragraph, she arrives at Camden Place, and she's like, ugh, when can I leave? And now... She, it's the end of the night, her first night here, and she's just seen Mr. Elliot again. I think Mr. Elliot, no matter what his motives are, it's, it's a welcoming, a welcome sight to have this, like, young gentleman, like, come and want to talk to her, right? And be interested in the things that Anne has to say. Oh, yeah. I mean, it was already a surprise that Mr., that Sir Walter, well, it wasn't a surprise, but it was already a welcome surprise that Sir Walter and Elizabeth would like to, to receive her, that they uh, were happy she right, were there. Right. She was there. But of course, then we find out why they were so happy. It's because Mr. Elliot's there, uh, which is another added benefit for Anne because it certainly makes her trip to Bath much more interesting. And any any distraction from Sir Walter and Elizabeth, like anyone to screen her a little bit from them is going to be good. Yeah. Not to mention he is sort of like this tenuous connection to her time spent at Ebercross mm-hmm. and at Lyme. And it's more of just like here she is coming into her own as the true center of the novel. Even Sir Walter and Elizabeth can kind of see it. I think mm. they probably recognize like it doesn't say that, but like maybe like they recognize like she's looking a little better, right? Mm. Like maybe we actually want to talk to Anne. We don't yeah. want to ask her anything, but we, she at least is worthy of hearing like us talk about ourselves. Right. We don't just want to yeah, she's not just like relegated to the corner of the room now. Uh-huh. She has she has a seat at the table, <laughs> the four person table. We're actually happy to have you at the table. I mean, the way that she, the way that like Sir Walter introduces her to 
Mr. Elliot, it was like very like almost cinematic. It was like they were like unveiling her to him, and uh, she's just like she's like oh like here and she he was, is. yeah someone who was pleasantly surprised to see yeah her, right? and like it's it's this, it was this great moment that was like I said before like not very um not contextualized yet. It wasn't like and Anne knew that Mr. Elliot was going to see her, and Anne wondered what his reaction would be, and then Mr. Elliot walked through the door. It was just like and then Mr. Elliot saw her, and then Anne was happy to see the surprised look in Mr. Elliot's face when he saw her and she knew that he had no idea who she was. Like, it's just such a great, like, bam, like, like, like such a great alpha moment where she, like you said, she held all the cards and she knew, she knew that he was going to be surprised and she was just like waiting, like, like happily waiting for his reaction, which is just like, like totally unlike the Anne that we saw like earlier in the book where like she could not feel any kind of happiness at all. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, this is, that's, this is why it's so much better than she would have expected. <laughs> she expected to be like, Anne, you know, like what we saw in chapter one, two, three is like, no one, take Anne because no one wants her here. That's what Elizabeth right. said, right? Yeah. And now here, like her family actually wants her here. Uh-huh. Mr. Elliot certainly wants her yeah, here. Yeah, So, and if anything, Mr. Elliot's walking away this evening being like, wow, here I thought I was gonna have to fucking subject myself to, to Elizabeth. Oh, love to Elizabeth, and now yeah. I get to like make love to this charming, beautiful woman right. that I kind of briefly f- micro flirted uh-huh. with. <laughs> <laughs> okay, all right, all right. I think we should leave it there. But I'm having fun. I like these Bath chapters. I know I've heard Austin herself didn't care for her time in Bath, like Anne, but. Uh, <laughs> I feel like Bath is, like, really does inspire Austin and, like, produces some of her, like, best likes. A lot of her, like, really exciting writing, and I love the way she captures it. I think she really encapsulates, like, this scene, this atmosphere of Bath. Mm Mm-hmm. It's definitely charged. We are in, like, the throat. This is, like, truly this is where part two starts is her time at Bath. Like, Mm -hmm. this is, like, her... And the intrigue of Mr. Elliot. And the intrigue of Mr. Elliot. It's like, yeah, Anne Elliot, part two, electric boogaloo. (laughs) (laughs) And also, by the way, Bath is, like, the... Like, if you look up Bath, there's a very... The the row of houses where they are now. What's it called? Um, um, Sorry, I'm totally blanking on the name of the the neighborhood that they're in. Um, It was called... uh, um, it's Lansdowne, Place. Lansdowne Crescent. No, is, no. Oh, yeah, Lansdowne Crescent. That is the, I think that's the famous row of houses, Yeah, right? yeah, it's the famous row of houses that is in, like, Bridgerton, that's in, like, a bunch of other British uh, shows. Like, if you just look it up, you'll know that's where all of the carriages get pulled up to in all of the TV shows and of all of the period TV shows and movies. So that is where the Elliots are staying. Oh, it's a nice place. I've never been myself. I'd like to go someday. <laughs> yeah, maybe one day uh, we, we can go. <laughs> it is. Uh, it does date back to ancient Rome. I know that. Oh, with the, like the um, the architecture style. Well, or? just the town itself, the oh, baths, okay. the thermal baths. That's right. Yeah. yeah, the baths. And if our listeners want to tell us any more hot spots to go to in Bath, or if they have any questions, comments, or concerns, where can they reach us? They can email us at secondimpressionspod, secondimpressionspod at gmail.com. That's right. So until the next chapter, I'm Grace. And I'm Tom. Bye.